Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, as for me, I may have been a bit over my carb allowance, but happily, that is not one of our top stories. Instead, we begin with Trump. He approves, by the way, of us leading with him. Is there a path to victory? And if so, what is it? What is the strategy? We're going to talk to one of his top campaign advisors today. Plus, the Kelly Leffler Raphael Warnock Senate debate down in Georgia. It got biblical. Got ugly, too. We're going to discuss. Maybe we'll have Joe Biden stop by to read from the Book of Palms. <laughs> and King Newsom is at it again. The California governor is putting the state into full lockdown mode. We're going to talk to a doctor who will tell us how COVID can be under control in just two months. But first, our top story. The Trump campaign hoping for some good news this week in the states of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Georgia. There's a lot to keep track of when it comes to all of this election fraud. So we want to start by laying the groundwork and lay of the land with Trump's senior campaign advisor, Jason Miller. I spoke to him earlier today. Jason Miller, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. You got it, Dave. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us where all of this stands. A lot of folks, a lot of Trump supporters want to know how this all ends. Uh, what, what is your sense in terms of the path here? If you listen to NBC, ABC, CBS, they say there is no path. Uh, but, but clearly, you guys are still plugging away. What, what's the path here, Jason? Absolutely. So I'll go and make it real easy for you. I'll break it down as far as states, dates, and reasons to really make it simple for you. In case you're watching right now and you're not a constitutional attorney, uh, which by the way, I'm not one, uh, but I've gotten plenty of briefings and following this, I feel like I could be a con law expert at this point. So with regard to states, the clearest, most straightforward state that's out there right now is Wisconsin. And here's the reason why. In Wisconsin, it is absolutely clear, dead to rights, that you have to have an application on file to be able to vote by mail, to be able to vote absentee in the state of Wisconsin. There were tens of thousands, approximately 80,000 folks just between Milwaukee and Dane counties, that's where Milwaukee and the Madison are, who voted absentee, who did not have an application on file. That means those ballots should be thrown out. Those are illegally cast ballots. So that's very, so that's going through the state superior court. We believe we'll have a hearing as soon as Thursday. That's the most simple, easy to understand state of all of them. With regards to Georgia, we have filed an election contest. We have dozens of examples of fraud and irregularities, not only the very uh, highly publicized examples of where they found thousands of ballots that were just never loaded up. Uh, we saw the video of the ballots being pulled out from the suitcase and, uh, and in the back of that room where we saw ballots being run through the machines multiple times. We had the lack of signature matches going on. Uh, people forget in the state of Georgia, and David, this is going to blow your mind, a Republican-controlled state allowed ballot harvesting, allowed mass uh, requests for absentee ballots. You would think that this was in, uh, in Nevada with that clubhouse governor. You would think this was in New York State. No, they did it in Ruby Red, Georgia. And so you wonder why these races are so tight, how this impacted the presidential race and the Senate races uh, it go no further than allowed this to happen. So Georgia, we filed an election contest. Uh, we believe the election results should be invalidated. In Pennsylvania, we're waiting on the Supreme Court uh, to take up Congressman Mike Kelly's uh, lawsuit regarding the constitutionality or unconstitutionality of the uh, mail-in ballots, uh, which we believe were uh, done, uh, again, that were unconstitutional the way that those were handled. 
Capitol. So those are three of the clearest to understand states right there. Uh, with regard to dates, and this is a real important thing, David, there's a lot of talk about the safe harbor date and really where things right. are. There's December 8th, there's December 14th, and but really where people need to pay attention to, there's December 14th where states are supposed to go and uh, set up their, uh, their electors. Uh, so that's really next week is going to be a pivotal day. But even if a contest is not decided on the 14th, it's really January 6th. That is when Congress actually goes through and count the ballots. Here's why you, and you never hear anyone from mainstream media talk about January 6th. In 1960, everyone talks about Illinois and Chicago, and of course that was the Nixon versus Kennedy race and all the ballots that, uh, that uh, they came up with to try to get, uh, or to get JFK the win. But uh, Hawaii was too close to call. And they ended up sending up two different slates of electors because the election had not been decided. And that went up to the head of the Senate, which is the vice president. And that was then decided on January 6th. So for all the talk about December 14th, it's really January 6th. And then the reason, obviously, we want to make sure that we get the right results for 2020 for the presidential race. But, David, it goes so much further, so much more beyond even this year's presidential race. We have to make sure that this January 5th, these Senate runoffs in Georgia, that these are done right. We have to make sure they can't go and try to steal these elections. In the midterms in 2022, the next presidential in 2024, if we don't get this right now, David, they're going to try to steal elections forever going forward. Yeah, so Jason, let me uh, drill down on a couple things you said. Uh, January 6th, you're right, the media is not talking about that at all. Mo Brooks is out there saying he will contest uh, this election come January 6th, or the electors in certain states. Uh, you're going to need a senator. Is there a push by the Trump campaign to find that senator uh, to possibly uh, deal, deal with January 6th and beyond? So the focus right now is on the lawsuits and the specific pieces of litigation that I put forward. Uh, of course, there is the, uh, the, the angle that you discussed. Uh, I wouldn't say that that's at the focus right now. We have the very clear cases that are working through the courts with Wisconsin, with Georgia, with Pennsylvania. There also uh, is a, the state party is challenging uh, the results in Arizona, and there's a, an appeal going on right now with regard to Nevada. So there are a couple others I didn't go into in as much detail, but our focus really right now is working through the court system. And again, this is why these states have these statutes and these rules set up, so we can make sure that the right winner is verified. So, Jason, on Georgia, uh, the, the president and many others have been very critical of, of Governor Brian Kemp, the Republican governor down there. I mean, uh, do, do you believe, does the Trump campaign believe that justice uh, is being prevented from being served by this governor down in Georgia? I mean, that, that, that's my bottom line question in terms of a roadblock to justice here. Uh, well, we do. And it's uh, it's puzzling. I mean, this isn't, I mean, forget the, the fact that Governor Kemp is someone who's a Republican and uh, you know, who pretends to be a big supporter of the rule of law. I mean, this is very simple. Are this state allowed ballot harvesting? This state allowed uh, all these uh, ballots to go and be collected? Uh, Stacey Abrams to be in the proverbial sense, carrying around uh, all these thousands and hundreds of thousands of absentee ballots to, to wheel these things in. And we're not even gonna go through and check the signatures. I think that's outrageous. And why the governor wouldn't have that dedication, why he wouldn't have that focus to say, you know what, let's get this right. It would take literally one day, calling the special session, let's go and change the rule, make sure that we actually can do a signature check. Let's make sure whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, an independent, that you can have full confidence in these elections. Why would we want anyone 
going past the first of the year, going in actually into any of the certifications with any of these states, not having full confidence that the actual winner has been validated. And I just, it, it boggles my mind that someone wouldn't have that same level of focus. He's saying he is calling for signature audits though, but he's, but he's not calling a special session. Right, because we actually want to go through and make sure that the signatures, not only do they match the envelope because one person could take it, but does that actually match the signature that's on the voter file? Does that match what's actually been used in the past? Because say, for example, if you're going to fraudulently go in and uh, harvest some of these ballots uh, in the fall in the run up to November 3rd, you probably would sign both the envelope and the uh, and on the inside. And so we want to make sure that this is actually matched up to what's been done in the past. But again, David, this is about making sure that we get this right. From regardless of what party you're from, what your affiliation, who you wanted to win, we should all have confidence that we're getting the right results. That's a that's a nonpartisan, that's a no-brainer. Why Governor Kemp doesn't want to do this, I don't know. Yeah, I have to ask you, there's this report out in uh, Axios today saying that uh, if indeed the president uh, leaves office, that he will have some sort of big shebang, if you will, on the same day as the inauguration down in Florida, and that there'll be, him, he might even announce 2024 plans. What's your reaction to that Axios report that's out there that the president will do? I know you're concentrating on the here and now. I get that. But what's the reaction to that report, Jason? So that's the first time I've heard about any of that. And uh, uh, if any of that is true, I hope someone tells me because I'll probably have to be organizing some of that. Uh, but no, that's I, I think that's a little bit of maybe one person had uh, an idea and, and maybe gave it to Axios and they're kind of running with it. But you know how it works in this town. One person goes and, and feeds it to one of their friends and they write up the big story and then all the other media outlets repeat it and then it becomes fact somehow. Uh, but I would not expect uh, some big to do as of right now. Uh, I would yeah. not expect President Trump to announce uh, another run uh, for 2024. Uh, if this uh, 2020 is ends up going in Biden's favor, um, I would not expect him to go and announce that, say, for example, uh, you know, in the coming uh, next couple of weeks here. Uh, I think his focus is very clearly make sure we get the right answer for 2020, and then we'll see what happens after that. All right, Jason Miller, always a pleasure to see you. I really appreciate you taking the time and uh, good luck with the uh, uh, election fraud uh, lawsuits all around the country. All right, thanks, David. Jason Miller uh, with the Trump campaign. A couple of interesting nuggets of news coming out of that interview. Uh, number one, he says that when it comes to Governor Brian Kemp and Georgia election officials, remember these are Republican election officials, uh, he calling them in essence a roadblock uh, to justice uh, down in Georgia. That is a big deal. You know, Donald Trump has said that on Twitter, and we kind of come to expect Donald Trump saying a few provocative things on Twitter. But Jason Miller actually telling us today on the water cooler that the governor, Brian Kemp, a very close friend, at least <laughs> he was a close friend of uh, President Trump, uh, saying that he is uh, preventing justice from being served in Georgia. And the other uh, bit of news as well, uh, Jason Miller saying, uh, saying he doesn't know anything about that Axios story reporting that President Trump is actually going to somehow make some announcement about 2024 and Inauguration Day and all that. He says he hasn't heard anything about it. As a matter of fact, he says that don't expect anything from Donald Trump in the next few weeks at all about any plans for 2024. So a couple of things from the interview. All right, when we come back, uh, Alveda King, the evangelist, the, the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King, is not happy with Raphael Warnock down in Georgia, the Senate candidate there. We're going to have that story when we come back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. 
Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for some news as it relates to the state of Georgia. Earlier today, a federal judge dismissed Sidney Powell's lawsuit alleging widespread voter fraud in Georgia's 2020 presidential election. So Judge Timothy Batten, he sits on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. He said that in dismissing the case, the plaintiffs, quote, simply did not have standing to bring these claims. And this isn't the first setback of the day for Sidney Powell. As a judge also dismissed her filings in Michigan, saying that the plaintiffs filed too late and that the state election officials have already certified the results. So uh, that's some update there, what's going on in Georgia and, of course, Michigan. Now, speaking of Georgia, uh, a lot to uh, discuss and decipher and really drill down on. There's obviously that big Senate race, uh, two big Senate races that will control the, the Senate coming up here in 2021. I want to bring in uh, uh, evangelist uh, Alveda King. And of course, Alveda is director of civil rights for the unborn for Priest for Life. Alveda, great to have you back with me. Uh, appreciate you being here. Thank you, David. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, for sure. Uh, Alveda, you were in Georgia recently uh, out there. I want you to tell me a little bit about why you were there and the stakes in this uh, upcoming election. I actually live in Georgia, and I call what I call some of my brothers in Christ and some of my sisters in Christ and say, come to Atlanta. Let's pray together because we are uh, having a crisis. And then our local brothers and sisters who are pastors and leaders as well, my goddaughter, Angela Stanton King, who ran for Congress here in Georgia, and uh, Pastor Frankie Vega and uh, Vivian Childs, Evangelist Vivian Childs, many of us, we came together to pray. We prayed down on Auburn Avenue at the Martin Luther King Memorial Park, the National Martin Luther King Park. We were standing in the First Amendment uh, amphitheater, and behind us was historic Ebenezer Baptist Church, where my granddaddy, Daddy King, Martin Luther King preached, my daddy, A.D. King, my uncle, Martin Luther King. So, and then in front of us was what I call the altar of Baal, the Horizons Ebenezer Baptist Church. So you have the historic behind us, there you have the Horizons there, and we are praying to God because the pastor, Raphael Warnock, is pro-abortion, he's anti-life, and we marched over, we prayed and marched his headquarters, they locked us out of the headquarters. Mm Mm-hmm would not let us come in. But we were praying for God's mercy to forgive us for abortion and let us elect pro-life senators. Well, Alvita, I want to play some of that video. We saw a little bit of it there, but here is uh, what we call sound on tape, a little bit of the marching and when you go to the office. Have a look. I'm putting this. They open it. They go. Inside the door, they would not let us in. A public building. Alvita, I hear you say that they they locked you out, but you put a message in there for for, uh, Mr. Warnock. What, What was that message about? 
we had written scriptures and messages and prayers for Pastor Warnock, letting him know that abortion is just a heinous crime. It's, it's, it's an act of idol worship, Moloch, uh, burning babies in incinerators here in America today, offering them to Moloch. So what I say is the historic Ebenezer is raised. Here I raise my Ebenezer as an altar to God. That is scriptural. And then the Horizons Ebenezer, where Pastor Wagner preaches, that is not the pulpit that Martin Luther King Jr. preached in, by the way. Mm -hmm. And they are sacrificing babies on the altar of Moloch in abortion and burning them in incinerators all the time. So we were just as pastors and leaders and prayer warriors just saying, you know, and he admitted it on his debate this week uh, with Kelly Leftler. He just says, yeah, I, I, I value life, but I also value choice. That means it's okay for women. You're not going to help them have a good life, so you're just going to help them abort their baby. Pastor, why not? Really? And he said that there's no problem with his theology with that kind of thinking. Well, you mentioned the theology. I'm curious what you you make. You mentioned the church uh, that he that he preaches at, and, and I would think that's got to be confusing to folks. I mean, if people that don't follow the faith uh, especially more of the conservative faith uh, community, they hear, they see a pastor running, but they have evangelicals who are saying, wait a minute, that's not, that's not uh, in my Bible. Not Martin not Luther King Jr., not Martin Luther King Sr., not my dad, Reverend A.D. King. And at that Horizons Ebenezer Sanctuary, Martin Luther King Jr. died before that was ever built, and it's an altar to Baal. He said, by John Lewis's stripes, at Congressman Lewis's funeral, by John Lewis's stripes, we are healed. Now, how can John Lewis's strikes heal anybody? Mm. Mm-hmm. He said that at the funeral. He really did. Yeah. So, so what is your ultimate uh, view of this Georgia Senate race? Because faith has been a big portion, big part of both candidates trying to appeal uh, to Christians on both sides. I, I know uh, Pastor Warnock is trying to appeal to more of the progressive side of Christianity. Well, with the new spikes in COVID, for example. And it's Christmas time, it's the holiday season, and people are anxious, scared. They're telling people, oh, you can't run your business in several states around America. Georgia's still, of course, open. And so people are scared. And then they're saying, well, we've got to elect these uh, Ossoff and Warnock because they're going to make a difference. Uh, and Warnock is saying that he's helping with criminal justice. Well, you know, President John, uh, President. <laughs> Trump passed criminal justice reform. He has already done that with a bipartisan effort. So using that kind of thing, stirring up the race card. We're supposed to be one blood, one race, learning to live together as brothers and sisters and not perishing as fools. He knows that. Mm -hmm. And so stirring it up and then also, oh, I've never experienced racism. Well, I have. Mm. And the answer is come together as brothers and sisters and pray and stop it. So scaring people, stirring up strife, and, and it's just wicked. I got about 30 seconds left. What do you make of the theology coming out of that church now and what he's preaching? He is preaching a theology of bail. Kill hmm. babies, it's okay. Tear up families, it's okay. Play the race card. Don't come together as brothers and sisters. It's not okay. We're going to keep praying. Alveda King, going to keep praying, keep marching, and uh, we'll see what happens down in, down in Georgia. Really appreciate you being here on the show. Thanks for the opportunity. All right. Alveda King, uh, the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, here with us. We hope to get her back on uh, very soon. Lots of uh, really 
get through down in Georgia, it is a tight race, uh, both between uh, Leffler and Warnock and, of course, David Perdue and John Ossoff, uh, both going to go down to the wire. It's all going to be about turnout in the great state of Georgia. All right, we're back in a moment with Rick Klein from ABC News talking about news of the day. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Love to have our next guest on uh, all the time. Uh, Rick Klein from ABC News, the political director, uh, one of the sharpest minds in the business. Hey, Rick, thanks, thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks, David. My pleasure. Good to be, good to be with you. Well, uh, let's just talk news of the day. Uh, let's start in Georgia. Boy, all the attention is down there. Uh, what's your sense as the Senate race kind of, well, beyond heats up, it's beyond heated up. It, it's, it's really, it's on overdrive here. What's your sense of how this might pan out. It seems like it's going to be a too close to call at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have a hard time to handicap it. I mean, obviously, uh, Biden having won the state uh, by 12,000 votes or, or something counts for something. But of course, the Senate candidates in the first round of voting underperformed Joe Biden. And the motivating factor of knowing the control of the Senate is at stake is an enormous issue right now. Uh, and, and I think it's going to drive Republican turnout. What might depress the Republican turnout, on the other hand, David, is that the president is talking about how the last election was rigged in his and uh, we've heard it from people on the ground in the last couple of days. Look, if the last one was rigged, this one's going to be rigged, too. Why would I show up? Uh, and so there's a real uh, kind of um, low level civil war in the Republican Party that continues uh, centered around President Trump and, and his claims. He was there over the weekend. Uh, Joe Biden has said he's going to travel maybe virtually, but at some point uh, he's going to get involved in this race as well. Uh, and to have these two races controlling uh, determining control of the Senate is unprecedented, uh, and it's going to be enormously expensive. I think Georgia voters are going to be uh, inundated with ads, and uh, we're already seeing uh, very high uh, registration numbers uh, and, and applications for, uh, for for absentee ballots. So, yeah, it's going to be, I think, very much down to the wire with so much at stake in the first week of January. Rick, you mentioned uh, the president, and in the note this morning, uh, your great note that you put out every day, uh, this is what uh, the headline was. It said, the note, Trump brings GOP along uh, in dangerous final acts. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the tap dance. You alluded to it, but uh, th this is, a, this is a, a tough uh, sledding here. This, is a, this, is, this could get kind of murky for the GOP. Well, here's the thing, and this is what, what Republicans are dealing with, is that if you take the, pre the president's premise and accept it, that this was a rigged election, uh, th then you don't have a lot of faith in the Republican leaders in Georgia. The governor and secretary of state, both Republicans, they've certified the results. They're standing by these results. Mm -hmm. And if you believe that it was stolen by Democrats, what's to say that the Democrats won't steal the next one? Now, those things have been disproven. Um, there's ample reason not to believe what the president's saying, but he's got a very strong appeal over his base. If you saw that rally over the weekend, you saw the, the, the Republican candidates kind of almost shouted down at times with, with pro-Trump chants. So there's enormous Trump energy. You can't win as a Republican without that Trump energy right now in 2020 or early 2021. But you also can't fully buy into what the president is saying, because if you do that, 
uh, then you're not giving anyone re a, a reason and incentive to go out and vote. So this is one of those areas, David, an early area where the president's interests are not necessarily aligning with the interests of national Republicans. And that's frankly, a new scenario for Republicans. They're used to having the president as uh, the lodestar, the most popular figure in the party, the most influential person in the party. That begins to change, and it won't even take till January 20th for that power shift to begin. You know, Rick, we had Jason Miller on earlier in the show, uh, and he told me, I asked him about Brian Kemp and the Secretary of State, and, and I said, are they preventing, this was, this was my question, are they preventing justice down there? Do, do you believe they're a roadblock to justice. And Jason Miller said, yes, he believes the governor of uh, the Republican governor of Georgia and the secretary of state are a roadblock to justice. You just wonder uh, how, how what the repercussions of all of this are going to be. Well, to me, I mean, look at looking at officials. They are also the governor of Arizona. I'd put in this category uh, Bill Barr, the, the attorney general. If you're going to believe President Trump, you're believing that all of those folks are part of some conspiracy with the Democrats. Those are loyal Republicans. Uh, Kemp, uh, Ducey, Raffensperger, these are people the president campaigned for actively, uh, and they have pledged themselves. They said there was their Trump voters. They're very much disappointed in the results. What they're being attacked for is doing their jobs. And that's the scenario that we're in right now. And that's where the repercussions begin, because it's a non-insignificant part of the party that's going to believe that Brad Raffensperger and Brian Kemp and Doug Ducey are turncoats, uh, or as the president is saying on Twitter, rhinos, Republicans in name only. He's using uh, loyalty to himself as president as a stand-in for loyalty to the Republican Party. And th that's basically worked for the last couple of years for him politically. I don't know how much longer it lasts. Um, I don't expect it to be a permanent feature. There aren't many permanent features in politics, uh, as you and I well know, David. But uh, at the moment, uh, you can rally a huge portion of the Republican base against any Republican just by the president saying, uh, so-and-so is standing in my way, so-and-so is being disloyal. What about Joe Biden as we move to kind of that tract of, of the storyline? You got the Trump uh, area and then you got Biden and what he's talking about regarding the HHS secretary. Uh, he's looking at uh, Xavier Becerra. Uh, what, what's your sense there as to what kind of roadblocks might be ahead for him? There, there's going to be a lot of pushback, I know. Well, the confirmation battles are, are always a thing. And I think in a divided Senate, whether the Democrats have narrow control or Republicans have narrow control, you're going to have some people who fall by the wayside. It's going to be an early test. I'll tell you, listening to Biden's rhetoric, it doesn't match a lot with what many Democrats believe is the state of politics these days. A lot of them believe he's being a little bit naive and thinking he can get Republicans to work with him on confirmations or on a big stimulus bill and the like. Uh, but he's testing the proposition. And I think he's been given a bunch of opportunities in the last couple of weeks to take shots at Republicans for not supporting the concept um, that, that he is the president-elect. Um, only about two dozen Republicans nationally have, have acknowledged that reality. Uh, and he's really, he's, he, I think he's pulled his punches because he sees them as people that he could potentially work with, up to and including Mitch McConnell. So he is, I think, I, I think playing as delicate a game as, as he can. Uh, we're coming up against some deadlines. A week from today is the Electoral College vote. It's hard to imagine how uh, you can continue to, to fight this out past that deadline, but uh, that's up to the president uh, in terms of his rhetoric. I think Joe Biden is just, he is trying to put together the team that he can, uh, turn that focus to governing, uh, knowing that he's going to be president in 40-something days. We'll see what happens. I guess in the next couple of days, or maybe earlier, we might find out what, if the U.S. Supreme Court's going to take that Pennsylvania case. Uh, if that's the, listen, Rick, if, if they take that case, uh, that's something the mainstream media is going to obviously going to be, be covering quite a bit. Uh, look, the Supreme Court involved in any election is, is, is undeniably a big, a big storyline. Yeah. Uh, we've seen the president uh, lose almost all of his legal battles. Uh, there are some last-ditch ones that go to the yeah. Supreme Court. 
uh, the ones that, that are most likely to get there w- wouldn't necessarily change the outcome. They, they, the, the biggest win that the president has had so far is on a rather narrow area of election law in Pennsylvania that wouldn't change the outcome. But look, the, the, we've talked a lot about the, the legal avenues that are available to a losing candidate. The president has availed himself of them and then some. Uh, tomorrow is the deadline for the Congress is set for settling on a state's electors. And then again, a week from today is the Electoral College. After yeah. that, I don't see what's left. Rick Klein, always great to see you. Thanks for talking news of the day with me. Really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, David. Good to see you. All right. Rick Klein, uh, with the impressive bookcase behind him, uh, I tell you what, Madison, we got to get myself, me, myself, we got to get this show a bookcase. Do we have, is that in the budget? Madison's saying she's on it, so we will have a bookcase, hopefully, sometime in fiscal 2022. All right. Back in a moment. COVID-19. We're discussing it next. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. All right, so here's a question about COVID-19. When will we be able to kind of get back to normal? And what about the vaccine? How much not only will it help, but what's the timetable on all of this? And I want to bring in Dr. Bhattacharya. uh, He's the professor of medicine at Stanford University who has some answers to some of these lingering and very important questions. Dr. Bhattacharya, thanks so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, let's start with the vaccine. Uh, tell me a little bit about what people might expect here in the next couple months as it relates to the rollout of the vaccine and what people should understand about it. Yeah, so the uh, the vaccine has been, uh, it's not one vaccine, there's, right. there's now several. Um, and uh, the, the uh, Trump administration, they made a bet relatively early in the epidemic that uh, that they would invest in producing large numbers of doses of the vaccine even before it was approved. And if the, if it now if the vaccine had turned out poorly, that would have been a bad bet. Um, but in retrospect, it looks like a good bet. Uh, so at least, I mean, we haven't had the official approval yet and we don't yet, haven't seen fully the data. But the early information that's been released looks very, very promising for at least, uh, at least one, probably two, maybe even three vaccines uh, ready to go in large numbers within uh, within you know just a, a short amount of time. Do you have a sense of how many people most likely will end up being vaccinated? I know it's hard to say. There's an anti-vax crowd out there. I mean, what, what's your sense? And a lot of people are concerned about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on the policy we pick. I, I, I've seen two camps start to form. On the one hand, there's a camp that's forming that says uh, we should mandate the vaccine that we should have hundreds of millions, maybe 300 million people vaccinated before we open up, which will take on the order of nine months, a year, I mean, very, very long time. And that people that don't get vaccinated uh, potentially could lose their job and not be able to go to school, all kinds of other other uh, other sort of restrictions. That's that's one camp. There's another camp, uh, and this is the this is the, the camp I'm in and the one I'm, uh, I'm arguing for, is that we should use this vaccine, uh, you know, so again, assuming the data look as well as, uh, turn out as well as I expected to, we should use the vaccine to protect the, uh, the people who are vulnerable to disease. Uh, the disease is 
very vulnerable. Uh, people who are vulnerable are older, have chronic conditions. It's if you're if you're over 70, that the mortal the survival rate for this disease is 95 percent. If you're under 70, it's 99.95 percent. So clearly, people over over 70, older people, um, people with chronic diseases are the ones who are most vulnerable. Uh, you know, healthcare workers, some other folks who are in harm's way. Um, we use the vaccine on those folks. That's maybe I don't know 40, 50 million people. Um, uh, could could be 60. And then and then uh, the for the rest of the population, children especially. Frankly, the the lockdowns, if we wait for nine months or a year, are going to do way more damage than the vaccine than the than COVID would, right? Mm -hmm. So for children, for instance, specifically, um, there's more children that have died of the flu this year this year than of COVID, and yet we've we've close schools all across the country. We've, uh, we've decided that, in a sense, we're going to do epidemic control on the backs of our children. Yes. Uh, one, Go ahead. Mm -hmm. No, I was going to say one study I saw recently in the Journal of American Medical Association, Open Network, estimated that we, through these decisions, have cost over the lifetime of our children five and a half million life years, which is more than that we've saved from COVID. My goodness. Hey, I want to ask you a little bit about what you've written uh, in uh, what is called the Great Barrington Declaration, you and a couple of your colleagues. Let's put that up on the screen. And you say this, we have grave concerns about the damaging physical and mental health impacts of the prevailing COVID-19 policies. You go on to say current lockdown policies are producing devastating effects on short and long-term public health. And then you say adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. So are you saying that under this scenario, this, this, you mentioned two scenarios, this scenario could get what, people back to uh, kind of a normal resemblance of life in a few months, or what's your sense? Yeah, I mean, I think if we use the vaccine correctly, we, the, the, essentially we could be done with the epidemic in two months. Right. The big pushback to the Great Barrington Declaration, which you just read, um, is has been that, look, it's very difficult to protect the vulnerable. Uh, so if we open up, we'll, we'll harm the vulnerable. Well, with the vaccine, we have a mechanism for, in effect, perfect protection of the vulnerable. Right. So the, 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 the main criticism of the, of the declaration is sort of undercut. And for the rest of society, the lockdowns are absolutely devastating. Absolutely. I mean, so, you know, one in four Amer uh, young adults seriously considered suicide this past June. Um, you know, businesses around the, the country have have uh, have, have collapsed. Um, the the psychological damage to uh, to 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 young, actually young and old alike, have been a absolutely enormous. You know, I think the twenty percent increase in dementia related deaths in in nursing homes, um, in for people have have uh, stopped going to doctors for for necessary medical conditions. They they many people actually didn't even get chemotherapy even though they had cancer. Uh, cancer screening collapsed. Um, we're going to see higher cancer rates, uh, late stage cancer rates in, in this coming year as a result. Um, diabetes management, heart, heart attacks, mm -hmm. people stay at home with heart attacks. Um, yeah. yeah well, I, mean, the, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about what's going on in California as it relates to lockdowns. There you are at Stanford University and uh, we, we call him here on the show King Newsom, uh, who has clearly, uh, you know, gone to a whole nother level yet again out there in California. What do you make of what's happening in your state? I mean, again, the schools are closed or cl closing across the state. The, the excuse is that the, that we're, we're overing our hospital systems. Um, 
the, th the thing is, you know, we could we can uh, in the spring, we built surge capacity for ICUs and other hospitals that we could build again if we need to. In the spring, of course, they, they in California, they, they stayed empty because there weren't cases. Uh, he's closed down playgrounds. He's closed down um, businesses. He's he shut down uh, essentially all uh, all normal social life. Um, in a way that I, I just don't think is consistent with the science. I think the the, uh, the the right policy acknowledges who actually is vulnerable and seeks to protect them. Uh, let me give you an example of a failure of that policy, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're 64 years old and you're diabetic, well, you're kind of at high risk. And But suppose you work at, at, uh, at, a, at a store, like a, your grocery clerk. Mm -hmm. Well, there's no protection for you. You're an essential worker. The policy says you go risk yourself. Mm -hmm. We're not protecting the vulnerable with this lockdown. It's not. It sounds like it sounds to someone who has yeah. a, a Zoom job like a fine thing, but you know, it's 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 a it's an engine for devastating poor people. Yeah, it has to be more strategic in nature for sure. As I, I see what you're saying, uh, Doctor, really appreciate you joining us here. Thank you very much, and stay safe. Thank you very much. All right. Great stuff uh, by the good doctor, if you will. Yeah. Uh, locking down playgrounds in California. Watch out for those three-year-old super spreaders on the swing set. Oh, my goodness. All right. Uh, when we come back, speaking of Oiga Volt, speaking of me having kind of like a, a moment, if you will, we got the last sip coming up. And uh, let me just say, cucumbers and Donald Trump. There's a tease. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Time for uh, the last sip. Look, I got to tell you, uh, Donald Trump, he's president of the United States. A lot of uh, weighty, heavy, important issues out there, right? He was in Georgia uh, this weekend. Uh, he was talking about election fraud. He was going through the United States and everything in front of this country. But instead, here was a headline that you may have missed. How about this? Uh, way to go, media. Way to cover this. Trump bizarrely claims to be the only one who likes cucumbers in self-centered Georgia Senate rally speech. Okay, so let me just get this straight. He is talking about really important issues, and they're talking about cucumbers. Way to go, media. Let's continue on, shall we? Uh, there's some other headlines uh, throughout the years with Donald Trump. Look at this one back from 2017. Trump gets two scoops of ice cream. Everyone else gets one. And other top lines from his time interview. CNN, what are you doing? That was a CNN headline. Let's move on. I, I don't even know what to say. Uh, here's Business Insider, the hard-hitting Business Insider. Trump's salt and pepper shakers tower over everyone else's. Obama, Bush, and Clinton used the same size shakers as their guests. <laughs> Just keep going. Why am I laughing? I know why I'm laughing. Here's CBS News. How about this? Walter Cronkite would be proud of this one. Trump pauses during remarks for sip of water. Really? This is journalism today? Really? Shall we continue? These are not, this is not fake stuff. These, these are real headlines, people. Here's Newsweek. Donald Trump stole pancakes and forgot a relative was dead while visiting family. Cousin claims. Really? More? Please? 
Does it stop? It doesn't stop. The Independent, what Donald Trump's love of well-done steak says about him. And one last one. TheDailyMail.com, Trump is making me fat. Democrats like Barbara Streisand are more likely to, quote, eat their, feel <laughs> eat their feelings, drink their sorrows, and blow off steam at the gym to cope with midterm election stress. Folks, these are real headlines. We're not making this up. Uh, this is the hard-hitting news media for you. That's right. We've got a lot going on in this country. We've got so much that needs to be discussed. Media doesn't have time at all to get into the election fraud nonsense, or I should say nonsense, what they call nonsense. They say it's not important, but they'll talk about cucumbers. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, the end of the show. End of the show means Sophie Mann, but don't take that the wrong way, that you're at the end of the show. No, would never. I know you wouldn't. Best for last. Correct. Right. So good. Uh, okay, so you work on news stories like all day long. Yep. Chicago's Teachers Union? Yes. What's happening here? So Sunday evening, the Chicago's Teachers Union sent out a tweet that they quickly had to remove about the push to reopen schools mm -hmm. in Chicago. So as we know, schools have been relatively shuttered for the past many months. Um, some have done sort of half online, half in person, but now with coronavirus case numbers spiking, but a vaccine also on the horizon, many mm -hmm. school districts are debating how to now move forward. Okay. So the Chicago Teachers Union sent out this really puzzling tweet on Sunday evening that said the push to reopen open schools is based in misogyny, sexism, and racism. Imme no context, nothing. No context. So immediately there were all of there was all of this backlash saying what what are you talking about? What does this even mean? In addition to the fact that over the weekend and over the past few weeks um, Dr. Robert Redfield, the director of the CDC, and Dr. Fauci have been saying that intra-school transmission rates for the coronavirus are extremely low mm -hmm. and that we should, you know, Dr. Fauci's line has been close the bars, keep the schools open, which some people may take issue with. But on the whole, I think we can agree that it's important to have um, America's children back in school just as soon as possible, Absolutely. especially since we've, we've now seen the first sort of set of report cards coming out of a full semester mm -hmm. of online learning. And they're just atrocious, just yeah. really awful. The education system is not thriving this capacity. And the Chicago Teachers Union is apparently in no rush to open it, despite despite the science being behind that very movement. Yeah, well, it's really sad that, they, I mean, to, to, to put out the tweet is one thing. To yeah. put it out with no context? Yeah. I mean, that, that's not something you tweet out. No, it doesn't make sense inherently either. So, I mean, I think that yeah. beyond just not wanting to go to work and educate the children, mm -hmm. there, there needs to be a little bit of a breakdown of the logic behind this tweet anyhow. For sure. Sophie, always good to see you. Good well, to you. And it doesn't matter what block you're in, by the way. Glad to hear it. Yeah, I don't know if you'll be the lead tomorrow. Mm. I hope you don't take no? that the wrong way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, before we leave you, by the way, uh, Pearl Harbor, of course, uh, December 7th, 1941. 
a day that will live in infamy. Everybody talks about 9-11, uh, of course, for this generation and many before it, they know all about that. But this is the one uh, that obviously our grandparents and, and many others uh, remember. And my goodness, Gen Zers, let's remember it, all right? December 7th, 1941, more than 3,500 American Americans lost their lives or were wounded on the attack on Pearl Harbor. That does it for us here on The Water Cooler. Tomorrow, Liz Harrington with the Republican National Committee. Listen, she's got a lot to say about election fraud. We'll see you then.